Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. This episode is going to be a, definitely a fun, intuitive episode, and I'm going to start it off, you know, based upon this man's bio, all the accolades that he has, and at the bottom of the bio, more importantly than everything else, right, and I'm going to ad-lib some of this as well, right? He is a ball-headed, glasses-wearing Sagittarius, okay, first and foremost, right? So this is getting it out the way, because I'm also a Sagittarius, I'm also ball-headed, and I'm also wear glasses. So that's the commonalities that we have right off that. But more importantly, his nickname for this show is going to be the Case Study Boss. Joe, my friend, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you, and what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so as you mentioned, you know, I've been involved in the end-to-end process of customer success stories for over seven years, originally as a side project. My own background is in conversion copywriting, direct response, kind of how do you get people to take action? How do you motivate action? How do you tap into the way people make decisions? But uh, we're going to be diving into a little bit surrounding kind of that process of of customer stories, why they're valuable, how to to come at them. Uh, We might touch on the trials and tribulations of growing a business in a vertical like this. I'm excited to see where it goes. Quite honestly, I think there's a lot of great ground we can cover. And more importantly, I want to leave everybody listening with something or, or some things hopefully they can go and do to do these things better, to leverage these things better, you know, to, to, to make the most of these customer relationships that work so hard to cultivate and not let them just drop, not, not, not miss out on those opportunities. So yeah, we'll, we'll be digging into some of those different things and just seeing where it goes quite honestly. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think this is definitely going to be an insightful one. So if you don't have a notebook, I would definitely say take out a notebook because I have a series of different random questions that I know that you're going to throw some stuff at me because you're a wordsmith as well. So we're going to be playing back and forth with words. But I want to kind of start off, and, and I was hoping, I was sitting here, I was like, okay, he's going to have to. And I'm like, he's going to wear red today. because that's, that's the first thing I'm going to start off with, right? So I want you to talk about, like, again, you're a wordsmith. So, like, the definition of red is something that means more so about passion, love, and adventure. And I've seen you wear red shoes with your kids. I've seen you wear red shoes on stage. The, the headshot for the, for the actual podcast is red. And obviously, you're wearing red right now. So I want you to talk about it. And I'm going to put my, myself out there on the limb. I would say red is probably one of your favorite colors. I want you to talk about what's the meaning of red for you. Yeah, I mean, for me, the meaning of red, I think it goes back, I can tie to a specific instance, actually, it was my first time I was involved in, in university in this extracurricular club, and we were about to get on stage and present to some high level people. And, and everybody had talked about this dynamic of colors and what do these colors mean to you. And I was nervous, I was real nervous about this, this whole experience, you know, I was confident in my ability, but I wanted that to come through. So for me, red is power, red is just it's, it's like bringing along uh, almost like a psychic, bring along a buddy. When when I put on red, for me, that's my way of saying I'm ready for this. I've got this. You know, I I believe in the things that I'm about to say or the experiences I'm about to draw. And for me, it's it's a manifestation of also to that. Like like you said, I guess bringing that aspect of playfulness, adventure. When I wear red, the, the Canadian uniform in plaid, in many cases, um, you know, I, I feel like for me, it's reflective of yeah, I'm here to show up. I'm here to to bring it there, it's tapping into my own dynamic of feeling confident in, 
in bringing that to the people that I'm in front of and doing that in a way that is fun and, and engaging. So I, I kind of led you into that and I was hoping that one of the keywords you was going to use and you did use it was power. And it was one of your statements that you did in one of your posts. You talk about never underestimate the power of real genuine connection. So I want you to kind of talk about that going into case studies. Cause I mean, obviously you have passion for what you're doing, but you're a living, breathing example of being a real person that connects with someone and you're taking that philosophy and you're helping your clients with it. Yeah. I think when it comes to the power of a single connection, I think that comes out in, in so many ways, but the number of doors that can be opened by one relationship, one experience are immense. Uh, I think one of the biggest missed opportunities with customer stories is that businesses tend to wait for, oh, we only want you know these big obvious stories, the biggest metrics, the biggest logos. I think that's silly. I think every positive experience, every client that has had a win with you is a story someone might relate to for a different reason. They have their own networks. They have their own desired outcomes. They have their own pain points. And so that power of a single connection, I think when you tell a customer story, what you're really doing is harnessing that in a mutually beneficial way. A customer story, a case study well told, it makes them look amazing. This is not damsel or dude in distress. You're not making them look like a hapless idiot that you saved. What you're really talking about is a relationship. I don't care if it's one-to-one -one in a consultancy. I don't care if it's a thousand to a thousand in, in a giant B2B enterprise. The heart of these stories is really connection. It's really relationships. And so the ability to come at these stories with a mindset, not of, oh, here are some nice quotes and, and bullet points, but here is a an arc you can follow. Here is a clear before, during, after. Here is someone that looks like you, sounds like you, is dealing with the things that you're dealing with, making that decision you're debating and getting the outcome you want. I think not underestimating the power of not only a single connection, but the story of that connection. Mm -hmm. I've seen in my, in my own life when people make introductions. I mean, you've made introductions for me and, and brought a story to that as well. I mean, part of the way you make introductions that's so powerful is you, you kind of press in with a little bit of a story of who each person is and where there might be benefit. And I think it's no different when we're telling customer stories at scale, whether it's for billion dollar corporations, small businesses, don't underestimate the power of that story to drive leads, drive attention, disambiguate your offering, demonstrate your value. There's so much baked into these resources that you can tap into and that others will see when you tell those stories in, in, in a powerful way. I mean, you're spitting fire. I mean, I, I want I want the listener to listen. I mean, like like I, I could feel the energy, and I, and I want the listener to feel the energy as well because this is such an important component to business development and strategy. But I think there there's a little bit of convoluted, mixed up kind of definition of terminology. So I want you to kind of talk about the differences of case studies versus testimonials. Yeah, I think generally, and and this comes in so many different shades. I even had a conversation yesterday where across the pond. In the UK and in Europe, these things get conflated too, and they're viewed differently. To me, my definition is a case study, a customer story, it's got to have the full arc. It's got to take me from a beginning point to an end point. It's got to have the, the, the richness of that experience inherent to be a story. A testimonial can be a byproduct of a story, but it's it's more often, sometimes you, you see that narrative arc in, in a smaller way, but a testimonial can simply be one aspect of that. It can be look at this great result that I got or look at this problem that I overcame. But that story, is, it's the deeper dive. It's the more nuanced, the more detailed way of telling that story. I think that's something that also gets missed is we we often even in our terminology 
We want to define them separately. I think it's important to define them separately, but we miss that there is a clear and obvious connection that one can flow from the other. You don't just have to tell your customer story or your case study in this deep dive piece and leave it at that. It can be repurposed into all these things, pull quotes for your site, your socials. It can be repurposed into one sheets for your sales team. Same narrative arc, much tighter sort of deliverable. So in a different environment where you don't have permission to give them something that big, you don't have buying, you don't have that that level of connection that you can give them something that makes sense for the medium. So yeah, to me, testimonial, it can be a snippet of that story. It can be a, a truncated version of one aspect, for, but for it to be a real bona fide case study, real bona fide customer story, it's got to have that, that full arc and that experience at the heart of it. I think that that's a hell of a definition would kind of lead me into like your brand. All right. Like you're, you're, you're the founder of case study buddy, but your original heart and passion and souls when copywriting. So to the average person, they may not see the connecting factors. So I want you to talk about like, how does someone go from being a specialist in, in writing copy to then owning a company that does case studies? Yeah, for me, it all came out of uh, the, the willingness to, to want to immerse myself in things that are just a little bit uncomfortable. I had just finished a a project for, for a company called WP Engine, a hosting company, and, and it was conversion copywriting focus. We'd done their website. It had gone quite well. Someone on the board uh, came to me and said, hey, I advise this little company called Pingboard. Would you be willing or, or, or our case study something you do? And I hadn't done one to that point. It wasn't something that I'd done, but I saw it as, okay, I want to learn by doing. I want to get in the mix of this. And and so I said, sure, yeah, you know, I, I think that's something I could figure out. And when I got into that project, a number of things really occurred to me. Number one, a whole lot of the tenets of what I was doing on the copywriting side still held true here, but in interesting ways. You're always trying to tell a story, but in a different way with copy. Sometimes, you know, it's not this explicit customer experience start to finish before, during, after, but you're still trying to motivate, connect. You're, you don't want to just appeal to a cardboard cutout of a person. You're trying to cut to the heart of their actual motivations. And that held true in customer stories. And then I also saw, okay, well, in doing this, these are hard. There's a lot of moving pieces and disciplines to, to do these well. You have to wear, if, you, if it's just you, you have to wear a lot of hats. You got to make for a great interview and plan a great interview and, and come at that with context. And then you have to run a great interview. You have to capture that story. And then you have to tell it in a way that supports, if you're doing it, in my view, the, the most optimal way, an actual business or revenue goal, like take that story, make it make sense in, in the business context. And then going through approvals, going through all of that, I just saw this real opportunity where, okay, there's this storytelling component. There's a lot of moving pieces. They're tough to do well, but every B2B company on the planet needs these things, benefits from these things, uh, would do better to have these things and leverage them better. And then for me as well, you know, up until that point, I'd come out of the agency world where I was part of a team. Then I was solo freelance consulting, doing my own thing on the conversion side. And so I saw this as an opportunity to get an education that I wouldn't have gotten on my own in terms of managing people, building and communicating processes, dealing with the different challenges of of growing a business that's not just you and hopefully, you know, building something that either outlives yourself or, or teaches you lessons you can take with you into other areas of business. And so it was this confluence of different things where I still love copy. And I still very much, you know, when, when I sit down and think about the work that I'm really passionate, of course, there's this, but there's still that copywriting part of what I do. Um, 
but but it was an interesting way to marry all of these desires for for my business trajectory, the storytelling aspect, and, and the two really came together. So right before the pandemic, my partner in the business and I decided, okay, we'll make this our full time focus and and see you know how far we can push this thing and, and what we learn along the way. Yeah, and, and, and I mean taking pieces of that right, and obviously if, if you have an opportunity, I would definitely say go to casebuddy.com and check out their, their live case studies. But I think one of the three key formulas of what you're delivering with the case studies is, is challenges, solutions, and results. So I want to talk about like I mean obviously there could be many different things in a case study. You could t- and you do talk about like the size of the company, the industry, all these different things. But why are those the, the three core things that you guys deliver in your case studies? Yeah, I think to to get to the heart of that, you have to almost go a layer deeper. I think if we if we start at the beginning and think we have to show a narrative, we have to show a transformation, we have to show a relationship and how it evolves. Really, hiding behind those are before, during, after. Challenge, solution, results are that they're almost equivalencies, but they're just framed through the context of the situation. Someone's going to relate to more of a universal challenge or something that you know they'll, they'll empathize or feel it more because it's something that they might be going through, something they might be struggling with. Uh, for for that solution section, I mean that's where we we have the ability now to talk about again its solution, but what's masquerading its solution, but it, what's masquerading in that section is really the experience. Mm-hmm. that solution. It's what did this look like? How did the values of the company actually manifest when it came to delivering here? How did the strategic thinking of those involved in the company actually show up? I mean, we tell clients all the time in the challenge section, don't just talk about what was wrong, set the stakes. In the solution section, don't just tell them what you did, tell them why. Why those things? Why those features? How were they actually used? Don't stop at the bullets, go into the story. That is where the actual value is. And then in the results section, again, what's what that's really what's behind all that, that's the transformational moment. That's where, you know, uh, someone that I've had the privilege to to work with, who's an incredible uh, videographer, runs his own incredible business, Jude Charles. He has a concept called a dramatic demonstration of proof. And that is where on the results side of things, that's where you see that full transformation. You see now that you've come through the before, you've come through the experience of the solution, that's where the payoff is. What can they do now or do better because of the relationship that you've had? And in that results section, again, we tell clients, don't just stop at the KPIs. Everyone wants the metrics. So 100% lift, 300% increase in sales. Those are great. Those might drive the clicks. Those might drive the interest. But what drives the action is what did that make possible for the person? What did that mean for them? Not just, okay, so you saw 300% increase in sales. What could you do because of that? What doors were open because of that? Where are you now because of that? Because we think we want the metric, but what we really want is the transformation that comes on the back of that metric. That's what our emotional, our mental, you know, that that's what we're really aspiring toward. It's not the metric, it's what it means for us. So that's why we we take people through that arc. And I think it's it's just that before, during, after expressed differently in, in a business context, but it's all about transformation and relationship at its at its heart. Yeah, I think that that's a phenomenal definition um, to, to answer that that question. And it, it kind of puts a fork in the road, right? So I want you to talk about there was a post that you wrote, and this goes well with what you just said. Um, a single person who uh, 
you know, was talking about being on their first date is much like someone trying to get a case study for the first time. And, and I ad-libbed that, but I want you to kind of talk about that video and how you broke that down almost scientifically to understand that, okay, you just can't go into a date with someone that you haven't met and they didn't know anything about you. It's the same thing what people are doing with their businesses. I want you to talk about that. Yeah, I think a lot of the time we want to leap to the end state. We forget that, you know, when you ask a, a customer to take part in in a customer story, they are doing you a favor. You can frame it as a benefit. You want it to be beneficial for them, but you are asking for their time. You are asking for their trust. They are essentially sticking their neck out for you. And oftentimes we make this great big ask of being in a story without any prior real expression of interest in the trajectory of their success at all. And this happens in small companies. This happens in, in big companies. This, this happens everywhere where, you know, up until that point, have you talked about KPIs? Have you talked about how they're tracking? Have you talked about their experience? Have you made sure they're actually happy? Have you given them a chance to put up their hand in smaller ways to even indicate that they might be willing or interested to, to do something like this? Have you made it possible for them to say, I'm winning here. I'm, I'm seeing results here. This is what this looks like for me. And so on the, on the client side, before making the ask, you know, taking a philosophy of basically, uh, escalating commitment rather than going a whole hog make sure number one you've got a cadence of communication set up whether it's a self-serve software or a hands-on service there is a cadence of communication where you are committed that customer and coming back and seeing hey we captured your goals at the beginning we captured your pains at the beginning you should be doing that you should be documenting when they come in what are the pains that came in what were they aspiring towards when you had that sales call what were they telling you what indications were they giving Map out a cadence of comms where on the regular, you are having the opportunity to revisit that. You told us this. How are we tracking against that? How are we making that possible for you? How are we enabling that? Are we enabling that? Because if we're not, we're in real churn risk territory. We're not delivering the value you, you came in for. And then using smaller kind of step-up requests, whether that is, would you be willing to just complete a, an NPS score survey? Or would you be willing to complete a customer feedback survey? Would you be willing to leave us a review? If you give them the chance to take these smaller steps, now you've, number one, made it normal to talk about KPIs. Number two, expressed an actual interest in the outcome they're going to achieve. Number three, shown that you're tracking that over time so it's not, hey, can you do us a solid and sing our praises now that the work is done? And number four, you're identifying those within your customer base who are willing and, and already taking part in these types of activities so that buy-in is not a slog later on. And I think on the other side of this coin, when we think about prospects, a lot of the times we're just pushing for the sale, pushing for the sale, pushing for some buy, buy, buy. When, when prior to getting to that point, again, same idea, we want to demonstrate value to them. So there's this symbiotic relationship where you can build this process internally with your own customers and in doing so, get the enablement material you need to take someone from total stranger, skeptical buyer now to advocate on, on their own. So it, it cuts in both directions and, and really can benefit, you know, it takes time and energy to set up. But once it's there, your relationships benefit, your collateral benefits, your business benefits. I, I think it's, it's great. I mean, I'm happy that we, we went deep into this hole. So I want to I want to kind of pull it back a little bit. I want us to kind of, you know, like you're familiar with time travel, right? So I want you to kind of imagine yourself younger, full set of hair, you know, kind of going <laughs> to the stereotypical Canadian, growing up with skates and, and, and playing hockey. But I really want to know what kind of kid were you growing up? What kind of like 
our listener may have a version of you at their house and you're a ball of energy and you're dropping all this information. I want them to be able to articulate and see that in one of their kids as your kid walks in the shot at the same time. Uh, say hello, say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> a moment left. All right. We couldn't yes. cue that any better. We couldn't cue that. Yes. Uh, I mean, in an interesting kind of peril. So I was a curious kid. I was a small kid. Um, you know, I, I didn't break five feet till, you know, at some point in junior high. So I had, you know, a little bit of a, a chip on my shoulder. I was a little bit feisty. But early on, my teachers kind of identified and encouraged in me there's leadership. They, they could see I could get people excited in an activity, excited in an idea, you know, willing to, to take part. And that was something that was encouraged in me. And so as a kid, you know, number one, I was curious about things. I, I would, you know, I, I like to kind of explore ideas. Number two, you know, I was, I was an uncertain kid because I physically, I was smaller. I was always trying to kind of establish that I fit, right? I, I really wanted to know that I I think like every, we all want to know we belong, but for me, that hunger was really deep. I needed to know that I was liked. I needed to know that I was, I was valued. I think on the other side of it, I was a really creative and expressive kid. I loved and, and I'll never for, you know, I'll thank her for the rest of my life. My grade four teacher, Mrs. Hunt, you know, saw in me again. Uh, I've got a, a great history of teachers who really helped shape me, um, but saw me, you know, I would write short stories and build worlds. And to me, what was fun was the ability to create and, and set up a situation and, and set up a world. And then in junior high, I was the kid who was, you know, uh, proud to have his poems like stuck up on the junior high poetry wall. The, for me, there was expression there. I, I really, the written word for me was something that early on I, I keyed into as something that I was strong at, something I belonged in, something I was celebrated for. And so it's something that ultimately became my career. And I'm grateful for those who encouraged me in it. I think over time, you know, I lost the chip on my shoulder, but not the motivation. Um, you know, I, I retain too, still to this day, you know, you, you, like I say, everyone wants to belong. Everyone wants to feel like they're doing a good job leading. And I think that's something that when I moved from lone wolf with full creative control and all of the consequences of success or failure being totally mine to working with the team, that's something that took me time to ultimately let go of and, and you know, to know, okay, I don't have to be perfect for my team to respect me. I don't have to be perfect for my team to believe in what we're building together. I don't have to hang on so tightly to everything. I can let go of some of this creative control. I can let go of some of this high expectation, this pressure that I put on myself. And that was a transformative journey for me. And I think to bring it back to what I originally started with, I stayed curious through all of that too. And that benefited me in terms of wanting to understand something by doing. It was curiosity that led me to try out doing case studies in the first place. It was curiosity that led me to wonder, would it be possible to build a team around this? It was curiosity that led me to, I wonder what it is that gets people to act, that gets people to buy. I wonder if that is something that you know I, I'm capable of influencing. So I think there's still a lot of that you know, bowl cut kid in in me kicking around um and 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 for better or worse you know I, I think uh it's to me still amazing to see that writing somehow i never even though i loved it i never anticipated any part of writing or creative pursuits being my job i went to university my original major was hr 
I would have, would have been a nightmare, but it felt safe, right? It was, oh, okay, well, I don't know. It seems like a career I could do. And then, you know, it's uh, it's been amazing to me to see how those original passions kind of actually did become, you know, a big part of my work and, and remain a part of my identity professionally and personally, you know, now. Well, I mean, there's definitely diversification in what you're talking about. I mean, you're saying that your first first major was essentially HR, but didn't didn't you end up graduating with an entrepreneur degree? You're right. Yeah. So I I originally majored in HR. Pretty much immediately realized that's not for me. And so I was still at that point. You know, I knew I wanted a business degree, but I, I couldn't find my fit. Accounting, finance, not my thing. Marketing, okay, maybe. I you know I I don't feel like my university at the time did enough to plan that, but I knew at that point things started to emerge for me. I knew the type of people I wanted to be around, mm-hmm. and that was people who were actually doing stuff. And so I didn't know entrepreneurship was even a degree you could, could have. Um, but it was when I, I saw that I was like, oh well, come to think of it, I've actually kind of been doing this. I when I was a teenager, I was in bands and. You know, you you always are at the mercy of whoever was booking the shows to try to get on a show. So again, I kind of thought, well, why don't I just book the show? So I started like a little production company called it Mammoth Productions. Did it with a friend, and we would rent the venues and get the sound equipment and book the bands. And I never, even while I was doing it, I never recognized it as like, oh, this is building a business. This is entrepreneurship. To me, it was just like, well, I just want to put on shows. So it was kind of the recognition of that. And then the type of people I wanted to be around. I didn't have a business idea at the time. I wasn't like, oh, I've, I've got something I want to go and build. I just knew that I like being around people who weren't just talking about stuff, but were really actually doing the stuff. And, and those conversations, those classes, I mean, at, at the university, now it's well-funded. The University of Calgary has an amazing entrepreneurship program. At the time, it was like the profs they could get were like, our class, some of our classes were like way after hours, like seven, eight, eight at night, because they, these these folks had jobs during the day, and then they were teaching in the evening, and and there was no funding at all. It was in the tiniest classroom, but it was an amazing experience because the the classmates, everybody was so on the same page. Everyone was so there. There was an energy to it about oh yeah, you know we we can maybe start our own things. We can build our own businesses. We can. You know, be be part of something that we start and and build. So yeah, that's what I ultimately graduated with. And then it took me a little bit of time to find, you know, find my my entrepreneurial, uh, you know, buzz again after going agency side things like that. But yeah, that's I, I shifted very fast out of HR once I knew that was even an option available to me. I think it's definitely phenomenal. I mean, I think everyone goes through that journey of kind of juggling and fumbling, but you can kind of see the breadcrumbs are all leading up to to where you are. So I want you as a writer to step out of yourself, right? And I want you to kind of dictate three to five keywords to personify who you are. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, going back to some of the things, I think I'm, I'm curious. I think I'm cultivating curiosity now in adulthood and coming back to that mindset. Um, I am creative. You know, again, I, I think that spark still lives in me. I still love to just the whole process of creating. It doesn't even, to me, it doesn't even matter so much. I just like to build things and show them to people, mm-hmm. whether that's writing or music. Um, I think I'm, I'm, it's two words, but recovering perfectionist. Mm. Uh, I, I would have just said perfectionist in previous years, but 
for all of the gain that got me through so many years, there's so much pain that came with that mentality too. So, you know, I do think that's part of, of my identity, identity, my trajectory now. Um, I'm committed, you know, I'm committed to my family. I'm committed to, um, you know, my, my, my team. I'm committed to um, building a life that I can look back on and, and say, I didn't settle for average. I didn't settle for coasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I would say, trying to think of, you know, a fifth word, I, I would say, I like, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I would, I would land on that. What brings me joy is to, you know, in the same way I love creating things and showing them to people, I love taking something that I've learned and I, I love to see whether it's in business, whether it's in some other arena, I love to see the lights come on. One of my most rewarding things is one, about once a semester, I, I get the opportunity to go into a design, you know, University of Design here in Calgary. And uh, they have a class that's communication for designers. And I take students who in many cases don't consider themselves strong writers. Some say I'm not a strong writer. That's why I'm, I'm in design. Walk them through kind of my process for the conversion side of things. By the end of that class, to see some of the ideas they come up with, some of the, the things that they notice, to see that confidence, how far their confidence has come even in one hour. To me, that the the um, to share, to teach, that to me is how in many ways that hunger for belonging, that's how it often gets filled now is I feel like if I can pass a little bit on, to me, that's very validating. It makes me feel like I'm capable because I can see that I'm helping others be capable. So maybe, yeah, that's kind of the landscape of language I might I might use at this point in, in life. Yeah, I think one of the phenomenal things that, that, that you said in, in that segment was, was look back. And I, I want the listener to kind of understand that when we're talking about looking back like what happened before where we are right now, that journey may be a perception of something that's happened overnight to someone that's now meeting you. So I want you to kind of talk about how long did it take you to become who you are? How long have you been in this space? Is it 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Yeah, I I mean, I, so I went out on my own in 2013. So 10 years, you know, uh, outside of working for someone else prior to that, you know, about five years agency side. Um, I, I certainly didn't snap to an understanding of how business works overnight. That's for sure. And even, you know, on, on the on the copywriting and, and content side, that took time too. So, you know, like I said, I, I left university with a clear sense of the types of people I like to be around and absolutely no sense of what I wanted to do, you know, for the rest of my, I knew I had passions. I knew there were things I'd enjoy, but it's not like I had this clarity of vision where I'm like, one day I'm going to, build this thing. I'm going to be this person. And I think it's it's been through these relationships and experiences, and in many cases, tiny little risks that, that have opened doors for me or, or changed my perception of myself and what's possible for me. And I think that's still an ongoing comfort. There's still a lot of limiting beliefs that that I am I'm working with, grappling with. But 
You know, when I left university, I had no clue. When I got into the agency, I took that agency job because it was new. It was interesting. But by again, I was like, well, maybe I'll pick up some experience that might benefit me. This seems like a field. You know, I was doing SEO at the time. This seems like a field with some longevity. Maybe I'll learn something that'll benefit me down the line. When I left that agency, that was a big confidence boost. At that point, that's where having worked in the agency, what shaped me there is number one, I got to see how real sales were done, how real relationships were handled, how the real in-office dynamic you know, happened. And that was also my first seeding ground for running meetings with clients. That exposure to having to come in prepared, make a point, make it fast, convince someone of an idea. That was my first. I mean, I'd done that on stage a little, like I said, university and where the red can, all that stuff. But in a corporate context, that was my first time and I, I loved it. I went, I can can do that. I I I feel confident here. From there, you know, moving out on my own and, and it was through that agency experience, seeing that writing actually could be a career. There's actually a huge amount of demand for content and copywriting. This was a whole field unto itself. Like somehow I left university with that not being a realization. So, you know, that was a big confidence boost for me. And when I first started the business, I had, you know, pretty what I would consider now modest goals. I wanted to make six figures. I wanted to do it on my own. Um, and I was able to achieve that. But as as that continued, again, I got exposed to this whole other conversion copywriting where I felt terrified and out of my depth. You know, I looked at what Joanna Weeb was doing. I looked at what, what some of these other greats were doing. I thought, oh man, that's incredible. Also, I don't know if that's for me. But I was encouraged, you know, Joanna in particular, again, like my teachers before, saw something in me, encouraged me in that. And so over the course of five years of focus on conversion, I got to the point where I was recognized for that. These analytical skills I'd picked up agency side, unaware that they'd ever benefit me, you know, turned up to, to be valuable. These ability to run meetings that turned up to be valuable. I collected pieces along the way that that helped shame me. I never <laughs> snapped to to one whole picture and I'm still not there. And then with case study buddy, same thing. It was the curiosity. It was the question of, can I build something bigger than me? Can I be the kind of person who can succeed in that environment? Can I figure out things like how to hire and fire and how to, you know, scale something larger than me? Can I learn to let go of the creative process? And so again, it, it probably took three years just in, in case study buddy for me to be really confident you know, not looking at drafts anymore, which is insanely limiting to your growth, right? Like it's not a positive way to build, but that's lessons learned. So, you know, there's been this whole long trajectory, a narrative of my own, a transformation of my own. And, and at no point did I snap to a whole go on this. I'm, I'm the case study boss. I'm, I'm the case study buddy. Uh, you know, it's all, it's all been picking up a skill here, picking up a relationship there, shaping here, letting go of this, acquiring that. And I think, you know, especially people early on, they look at people, there's always someone on a higher rung, doesn't matter how high you climb, there's always, and we tend to look at them as, well, they got there instantaneously, they, they just knew, they just were confident. And it's incredible when I get to know some of these people that I look up to, how often I realize, oh, they, they're actually, they've got things they're scared of now, they've got things they're uncertain of. Now they, they just, you don't see that till, till you have that connection. So yeah, it's, it's a continual journey. There's still so, so much that I, I want to grow into, but it's, it's not been overnight. That's yeah. for sure. 
Yeah, I think one of the key things that you said is like, you know, kicking open the doors to to seize those opportunities when they come, right? I mean, it's not necessarily a revolving door. It's always another door after another door. So I want you to envision that you're in, you're in front of a sliding door. It's not a standard door. It's not a revolving door. It's a sliding door. And you have opportunity to slide this door back in time any time that you want in the last 10 years or the last 15 years, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you have an opportunity to communicate with yourself to change one thing. What yeah. would you say to yourself and what would you change? Oh, easily. <laughs> this one's easy for me. It would just be ask for help. Like get over yourself, kid, and ask for help. I think, again, we talked about earlier, I had this chip on my shoulder. I wanted to be seen as capable. I wanted to feel like I belong. And and I mentioned too, this, this recovering perfectionist sort of side of things. You know, I had this bad mentality that I had to look like, sound like, act like I had it all together mm. or otherwise people yeah. would suss out that I was a fraud or suss out that, you know, I, I was just winging it or, you know, and so where, where that came out in the negative is I wasted so much time. Uh, there are things you have to learn by doing, don't get me wrong, but I wasted so much time slogging through things or putting myself mentally through the ringer when I could have just reached out and asked when I, when I could have been better at just asking for help being vulnerable, you know, going to people, you know, I, I think too, when, when your when your mentality is that way, you don't intend it, but you become a little bit of a narcissist where you think, well, I, I know my stuff and I've got this under control and what could that person teach me? And, and I, I mean, I've done a 180 on, on all of that now, but you become hardened to the insight advice experiences of others. You, 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 you lose the ability in many ways to learn from, from, from others. And so that would be something I would have changed. I would have put up my hand more often. I would have been more vulnerable with others. I would have been more receptive and open to feedback, criticism from, from people who cared about me and who had been there before. And I think that inhibited me. And that's certainly something that I'm trying to do more of now um, trying to, you know, it was, it was a moment like that that ultimately led to our, our meeting and our conversation t today, right. B being open to, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm having a tough, a tough time and, and uh, you know, putting up my hand. And, and so I, I would have started doing that so much earlier. I think that that's a phenomenal attribute to, to entrepreneurs is like, you don't get to that point until like you're well seasoned. It's like, like being a skillet. You could be brand new from the store. You're ready to be used. But until you're seasoned, you're not really to actually cook the flavors and put the things out there that you really need to do. So I definitely appreciate you for that. And I, and I want to kind of stay on, on, on the spectrum of, okay, we, we talked to you about a kid. We, we time travel back with you talking and, and saying, what are you going to do to change, right? But ideally, like, what kind of parents did you have? Because, I mean, obviously, you became an entrepreneur. You got an entrepreneur degree. You, you have a business. You're, you're, you're a writer. You're all these different things, all these different facets. But some of that had to be influenced at some time or the other. So I want you to talk about the influences through your parents. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my dad, so my dad, uh, he's retired now. He was an optometrist. He ran his own practice with his brother. Um, and he, both he and my mom, um, both of them were and remain very supportive of me. You know, they're, they're, they've never told me, you need to be this or you need to do that. They They would always... You know, as kids, they would always expose us to opportunities. You know, we we always had something extracurricular going on. And so it was kind of an unspoken rule. Okay, if you drop one thing, that's fine. You don't have to, if that's not sticking for you, that's fine. But find something else to, to try. If you're not going to play piano, 
Okay, maybe maybe give guitar a try. If you're not going to be, you know, involved in this, try something else. It was never it was never forcing us to chase their dreams or anything like that. But my dad did always tell me. He said, you know, do what makes sense for you, but if you're ever in a position to own your own business, that's the best way to go. He said, if if you ever if that's a passion for you, if if you if that's something you want to do, he said, it's it's hard to replace um the freedom that comes with that uh, and the opportunity that comes with that. And they were the kind of parents, you know, what I mentioned earlier, being in bands, all of my bandmates lived in a suburb half hour away. And so, you know, before I had my license, they would drive me there and they would drive me back like an hour twice a week to support that passion, to support that, you know, uh, those relationships, those connections, my parents constantly, showed up for me so you know i had the kind of parents where standards were high they expected us academically to do our best because they believed that you know we were capable of that there was never a second that we could get away you know get away with not putting in our our 100 because they knew and they saw what we were capable of but then at the same time you know they they didn't force it wasn't like succeed succeed it was when they saw us struggling they came alongside us when they saw that something was really difficult for me it was never punitive it was how can we support you so i had really supportive parents i have an entrepreneur and my dad um i think those things came together to kind of you know shape for me anyways where where i i wound up and also shape my own philosophy of you know parenting now like very similarly with my little girl or my little guy you know we we don't want to force them into a path we don't want them to have to you know, stick with something just because it's there, but we do want them to build resilience. We do want them to bring their best. We do want them to try a whole lot of things. And I will tell Linus the same thing one day, if you ever have the drive and the will, and if it's something that lights you up to run your own business, I, I think there's there's nothing better. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how my parents, I think, definitely shaped my trajectory and, and the way I come at things now. I think that's beautiful. I mean, that, that's what this podcast is, is really more so about than just business. I mean, obviously, you're, you're passing on that legacy. You talked about what your dad told you and that you became who you are right now. And then you're talking to Linus, your son, and saying, okay, these are things that I want for you, but these things are ideally going to be driven by whatever you want. So that legacy is being passed on from generation to generation. And another thing that you had said, you had used the word we and us multiple different times. So that, that's alluding to me to say that, okay, you have some siblings. Did your siblings turn out to be entrepreneurs as well? No, they they took different paths. So Sarah actually, I guess in a way, Sarah Sarah did. Uh, she's an optometrist now, so she followed my dad's footsteps in a bit of a, a different way. Uh, I would say of the three of us, like book smart Sarah Sarah's in a way. You know, she she's she's the overachiever, I think, in in that realm. So she now, you know, my dad before he sold his practice, he made sure there were provisions in place so that she was just graduating the time she could buy in and and be part of that and. So she continues to serve in that capacity. My younger sister, Janelle, uh, you know, I, I mentioned there's been so many teachers that shaped my life. My wife is a teacher. My younger sister is a teacher. Multiple cousins are teachers. So Janelle at present, you know, they, they've got uh, a little guy. And so she's she's doing the very hard work of raising him at home. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they both uh, took, took different paths. But I, I think... All the same, you know, when for Sarah, the, the path to optometry, uh, I mean, it's a lot of schooling. It's expensive. You're away from home. Um, you know, there's only so many schools that do that. And again, 
there was that love and support throughout it. There was never any, never a conversation of dad's an optometrist, so you should be an optometrist. It was just modeled as, oh, this this is a worthwhile career. This this is really valuable. I think similarly, you know, for for Janelle, she's always been someone who is very strong-willed, exacting. I, I don't think she would have responded positively to anyone saying you have to do this or yeah. you must do do that. Um, you know, but her expression of, you know, she she loves to be there for kids. She loves to teach. She loves to support, I think, in the same way that my parents supported us. And so those traits just have manifested in, in very different ways in my siblings. But yeah, the three of us are all very different, but I think all, you know, all thriving in, in our own right in, in the areas we've chosen to be involved in. And, and I could be being misled by, by your background, but I would think that you're a lot like Sarah as far as being studious based upon the book library that you have behind you, right? So <laughs> I, I want to talk about that for a minute. Like, I mean, obviously you're a writer, so being a writer, you, you, potentially you would have to read, right? So if you could do a recommendation for a book that helped you to become who you are, what would that book be? Oh, man. Um, I think one, a book I talk about all the time uh, is Made to Stick. By the, the Heath brothers. And the reason is it's not just for writers, it's not just for marketers, not just for business people. To me, it's not even really a business book at all. Mm-hmm. It's about making your ideas land. It's about being able to communicate something, whether that is as a parent, as a peer, whether that is as an authority, whether that is someone aspiring to appeal to authority, uh, universal. How do you frame an idea? How do you communicate an idea? in a way that it doesn't bounce off someone's cranium and fly into the sun? How do you, how do you get people to internalize, respond to, understand the points that you're trying to make? And I think, you know, we're all in the business of communication, whether we know we are or not. We're all, you know, you, you have people say all of life is sales. And while I think that's true, I prefer all of life is communication. You're, you're always trying to hear and be heard. You're always trying to articulate and understand. And so that book for me gave, you know, some concrete ideas around how to better express both for my work, but also for my life and also for my relationships, mm-hmm. how to express my ideas in, in ways that will actually land and have a better opportunity of, of being understood and, and maybe action on. So I think it's a phenomenal book, regardless of the field you're in, regardless of if you're in business at all, I think it's it's worth a read. Very cool. So let's just fast forward to, I mean, obviously you're, you're still an avid reader. And again, that's based upon assumption. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. what books are you reading today? Yeah, I just, um, I'm, uh, the, it's so new that I'm, I'm, that it's right behind me, but the, the creative act by Rick Rubin, he's a, he's a person I'm fascinated by because he's in a field where technical skills, none, but he's a legend, an absolute legend in music production. So, uh, so I'm reading through that. I'm finishing up thinking in bets by Annie Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that one, I think for me, not only was it recommended, but I'm intrigued by the idea, especially in life and in business, you will never have all of the information. So how do you move in confidence? How you know, just like in a poker game or whatever, how do you change the way you approach those situations to get out of paralysis and, and make better decisions more quickly? So reading through that, uh, I'm reading a book called The Search for God in Guinness, uh, recommended to me by my father-in-law. So that one is is purely just for 
you know, purely just for enjoyment. It kind of tracks the history of Guinness. There's some wild things in there. Like I had no idea, but the benefits that Guinness used to offer to employees like a hundred years ago rival the benefits that big enterprises like Google are offering their, their staff now. That's been fascinating. And there's kind of a spiritual component to the whole thing woven in, which which I'm finding interesting as well. So those are the books that that I currently have on the go. And then one that I just finished uh, is, uh, di- I think, Discipline is the Way. Uh, um, you know, and so that, you know, that was a topical one for me. Something I'm trying to cultivate in myself now is in a world of distraction, whether that's, again, in parenting, that the phone is always there, that work is always there, whether it's in business, the shiny objects, um, you know, trying to cultivate a lifestyle of discipline uh, is something that I think is challenging, but worthwhile. So those are the ones I've been chewing through over the past uh, past couple months. Very cool. So, I mean, you seem like you got like a little bit of a historian in you uh, as well, right? So uh, I want you to think about this next question as a two-part question, kind of based upon like like history. And we've been talking about time travel for a minute. And I want it to kind of be like the final words of wisdom, not only to the entrepreneur that's listening, but to both your boy and your girl, right? And, and it's an opportunity to, to, to communicate where do you see like your business 20 years from now. And again, I want you to talk to the entrepreneur that may be starting out new. What words of insight can you deliver to them? Yeah. <sighs> yeah it's a good question. Um, it's a timely question because there's uncertainty in, in so many areas. So to me, to find the language for my kids, for entrepreneurs, I think what springs to mind is constantly evolving and constantly curious. I think those two traits, you know, there, there's the harsher way of putting it, adapt or die, but our world is going topsy-turvy. There's so many innovations, ideas, they're directly influencing my business today from everything, how we market it to how it gets done. If I lose my curiosity in those things, if I stick my head in the sand, I I will lose. If I refuse to evolve, I will lose. And to me, curiosity and evolution go hand in hand because you will only, to my view, you'll either be forced to evolve or you'll evolve because you're curious. You'll evolve because you expose yourself to those opportunities, to those questions. So I think 20 years out from now, when I'm 55 years old, when, I, when I'm in this business or another one, my, my hope will be, I don't know if it will be, you know, I'm certainly, I'm certainly working to build an empire. I could choose words like that, but rather than that, I think for me, my hope would be that I will have maintained through all of those years, all of those experiences, that curiosity and openness to continue evolving as a person, as a business, as a process. Um, because to me, the minute you stop doing those things, you're done. <laughs> so I think that th- th- those those are the words I would put together, constantly evolving and and, and constantly curious. 
I think that that's a phenomenal insight. And it kind of, it, it, it made me think about, like you're saying curiosity and evolution. And based upon what you're doing, I see case studies and branding. It's very equal to what you just said. So I want you to kind of, first of all, I want you to kind of tell people where could they get in contact with you? And then I want you to talk about what does that branding mean in conjunction with case studies? Yeah, so you can check out uh, our work, both things we've done for clients as well as loads of resources to help you go do this stuff yourself. Again, that's a promise. If you spend some time on blog, you will leave with something to, <laughs> to better your work at casestudybuddy.com. Uh, you can interact with me anytime uh, on, on LinkedIn. I try to share useful, meaningful ideas. That's where that teaching aspect of myself often comes out in absence of a stage or or, or opportunities like that. So, you know, I don't always respond quickly. I do always respond. So extend some patience, some grace, but I, I would love to connect there. Um, to, to the second part of what you said, that branding, you know, with, with Case Study Buddy, I think we really inherent in that name is this notion of alignment and partnership. We're not coming in elbows out saying, oh, you know, you're doing it all wrong. And this is, you know, we want to partner, we want to lead, we want to enable, and we want to be a friend both to you and your organization, but also very importantly to your clients. This is not a one-way conversation. We, our hope is that when someone sees that we're involved in a project, they see this as, okay, we're aspiring to excellence here. This is not a one-sided conversation. My interests are going to be protected by this buddy too. So, so, you know, it's, it's something we want to be warm. It's something we want to be professional. It's something that we want to reflect actual partnership and alignment um, and, and a real willingness to, to work with you in lockstep rather than drag you behind the boat or, or be chasing the boat that, that you're yeah. driving. Yeah, I think, I think that that's definitely great. And staying on the topic of like branding, I mean, obviously earlier on, we talked about red being your primary color and talked about the passion and the power. But the, the irony is, is that your, your blue in your actual yeah. brand and your logo represents more trust and loyalty. So I want you to kind of talk about like why, because I know that was a conscious decision. I, I, as a brand person, I knew that you consciously made that decision because I guess your target audience is more so, like you said before, more corporate America. But I want you to talk about why did you select that blue as a color to represent that brand? Yeah, people are trusting us with their most precious commodity in in their relationships. When we have the opportunity to interview someone for a client, we take that deathly serious because we create an impression of their brand, of their thoughtfulness, of their, of, of their business. We're an extension of that by virtue of the way that we interact. We will not get buy-in or permission if we cannot communicate and exude trustworthiness calm and i think that's the other you know blue is is that trustworthiness to me too because we study so many things can go wrong so many stakeholders we want to show there's a trustworthiness there's a calmness to this there's a, a plan here we're going to treat you well we're going to treat your your clients well and i think something we've always wanted to be reflected and i think we've done better at at sometimes than others, but something we always want to land for people is we have a plan, we have a process, we're inviting you into it, we, we're inviting you, you know, to have confidence that when you trust us to tell this story, 
you're going to get what you need. Your customer is going to get a really great experience. So it was a conscious decision. It was, you know, we, we didn't want something abrasive. We, we, we deal in trust that that is really, if people don't trust us to tell their stories, um, people don't trust us to treat their clients. Well, we don't have a business. Wow. Wow. That's definitely a powerful statement. And again, I knew it had to be an intuitive selection to pick that color. So speaking about being intuitive, I want you to kind of talk about if you could spend 24 hours, right, with anyone, and this person could be someone that's dead or alive, and I, and I, I want you to kind of subtract this from your family. It could be anyone. Yeah. Who would it be and why? Yeah. You know, I think it might just be because this is the book I'm going through, but I've really been influenced by, inspired by Rick Rubin. Because again, to me, um, underpinning, you know, a lot of my insecurities are questions of, do I have the tech, technical prowess? That curiosity and willingness to immerse myself in things I've never done before. It's always, there's always within that, I choose to act, but there's always that little bit of, am I cut out for this, right? I, I act against it, but and what I what I would love to spend 24 hours is I just find him so inspiring in terms of he hasn't worried about those things. He's he's trusts in his taste. He trusts in his ear. He has a very incredible way. And this is why I'd be curious to see what he pulled out of me selfishly. He has an incredible way of pulling artists out of themselves so they can see themselves so they can be themselves, so they can communicate as themselves. Like he has a, a real gentle way of cutting through the BS mm. and cutting through the pretense and just meeting people where they're at and pulling the very best out of them and helping them see it. And I think selfishly, I want that for me. I'd love to learn more by being around him to see how that happens. And I think just like I said, on a personal level, it's inspiring to think that someone who hasn't concerned themselves with the the technical aspects, the working a soundboard, but has managed to create so much in conjunction with these artists that we all love and appreciate. I think it just would be so inspiring to be around somebody like that. So that would be, yeah, I think Rick Rubin is who I'd spend 24 hours with. Wow, wow. And I think the fact that 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 you were willing to to be vulnerable to say that you trust someone that you haven't met before is definitely a wonderful, insightful thing to say. So playing off of that level of trust, right? I mean, I, I appreciate you coming on the show today and giving the Boston Cage the trust to be able to tell your story. And I would like to return that favor back to you. At the end of every episode, I like to give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to become the host of the Boston Cage podcast. So now the show is yours. I'm your guest. What questions do you have for me? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about the first time we met. Um, and this is something that I was very intrigued by, impressed by. Um, one of the things you've done in in your career, uh, to to a greater extent than almost than almost anybody I've talked to, is exposed yourself to situations. You've taken jobs in different fields. You you've taken jobs in different areas because you wanted to learn those things, take those those skills away um, to a degree. Like I say, that almost no one's done. And and I guess my question is because underpinning this for me is there's i just mentioned you know there's always that question that 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 can i do this am i kind of so when you think about today and historically for you where did you find the confidence for that where 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 did you draw from to to make those decisions to stick your neck out in that way to 
to move through it? Where, where did you find that, I guess? Hmm. I think if I look back historically, I think I didn't come to terms with the reality of who I was becoming and didn't even know it. And it happened to me in high school. Being that I was, you know, in high school, everyone is different. Everyone is unique. But I was a little bit more out the box than the normal high school person. And then that kind of evolved and evolved. And it became like a, a bundle of energy in the negative way. So then once I had an opportunity to figure out, okay, well, I'm different. Like I'm a graphic designer, but I'm different than most graphic designers. I'm a web developer, but I'm different than most web developers. I'm a business person, but I'm different. It wasn't about me being different. It was about, okay, well, let me own that. Let me be different, but be different the way I want to be different. So I kind of consume content, much like what you were saying as a teacher. And it was just, it wasn't even about confidence. It was just about the requirement and the need and the necessity to understand and to know and how to utilize and how to grow. And that became like, like, like the feeding thing for me. It was like, if I didn't have that, then I was dying. So literally I kept on going because that's what was keeping me alive. I think... Hand in hand with that, but but it's something else that I'm I'm always curious. Um, there seems to be among successful people like yourself, among people who take risks, among people who are building empires, you know, that stuff from the outside, there's again this confidence, but there's a mindset inside of that that enables that. When you face adversity, what's your mindset towards it? How how do you what I guess what mindset or posture have you built towards adversity that's enabled you to keep going to push through those things. Mm. Happy you asked that question because it goes back to the, the, the statement from a Jewish proverb that talks about being more like a lobster. And mm. a lobster is only able to grow and to change its environment or to remove its ectoskeleton by having some kind of friction. So in order for a lobster or a person to grow, you have to be able to overcome. So for me, when I see these hurdles, and, I, and we face hurdles every single day, right? I mean, whether it's digital marketing, whether it's clients, whether it's personal, these hurdles are going to come. So for me, it's always about, okay, these are hurdles. What is the solution that I am going to create and develop to make sure that this hurdle that may come again later on could be justifiably executed without me having to break that much energy to think about it moving forward? So every time something happens... I am always trying to apply a solution to make sure that the next hurdle is going to be completely different. I'm not big on repeating the same exact hurdles over and over again. Can I ask one more? Shoot for it, man. All right. So bring, bring it back because I said earlier on, if that sliding door opens, I see myself as a kid there. What am I telling myself? I'm telling myself, ask for help more often. So my, my final question for you, okay, you've, you've, built a lot. You're a confident person. You've got a vision, but asking for help is still something that we all benefit from doing. So when you think about for yourself and what you're doing, what is the most meaningful way that myself or other listeners can support you on your journey? What what is the most meaningful help we can provide to you? Because I, I like to see you winning. I'd like to see you do, you do more. So, so that's my question. What's the most meaningful, what's the most meaningful help or support? Yeah, I think, I think the most meaningful thing for me is to help carry on this legacy of Boston Cage because it's not just about me. If, if it was about me, kind of like I would have I named it Grant, right? I would have named it S.A. Grant. I, I didn't name it S.A. Grant because I named it Boston Cage because I want anyone that's in a cage, anyone that's potentially want to become an entrepreneur or become a business owner to figure out how to do it. And so I want this message 
through all these different episodes and all these different interviews to be passed on. So if you can share an episode, if you could like and comment and take that that bit of information and you get a eureka moment from it and you start taking action about it, then let us know. I think that is the best way. It's not even about the monetary gains. It's not even about, hey, I love what you're doing. It's more so about passing that message on to someone else. Because again, we're at roughly 8 billion people. And can I get in contact with all 8 billion people by myself? Hell no. But if I get 10,000 people to communicate with 10,000 people and to communicate with 10,000 people, then essentially the entire world can kind of get the message and become the bosses that they're designed to be. Yeah. I think in a beautiful tie in, uh, you know, share your success stories. Share if, if you've if you've been successful applying some of the things you're learning with Boston Cage. If you've been made more successful, made more empowered, share that story. Mm. Bring that story out. I mean, we we began, you know, never underestimate the power of a single connection. Never underestimate the power of a single story either. Your story matters. Your experience matters. The way you relate to the ideas shared here, the way you relate to coming out of your cage or busting out of that cage, that someone else might resonate with that. And so, you know, I think for as much I I, I want to latch on to what you said, like, comment, share. But when you do, what I want to encourage people, pass your story along too. Because that that will be you know, motivating. That will be what others latch on to as well. It's not just the ideas, not just the content, not just the guests, not just any of this. But I think your story, how you relate to all this is, is powerful too. And I think that's uh, kind of a nice way to bring the, this whole thing together. I think share that story too. Yeah, and I think finishing on that note, I mean, that's why you're the case study boss, right? I mean, obviously, you just dictated to the, the listening audience on how to help Boston Cage capture case studies at scale. Like, you just did that in like 30 seconds. So I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate all the value and the effort and the details and willing to go back in history and talk about your family life to our listener. I think not only do I appreciate it, I would think the listener would definitely appreciate it as well. Yeah, thank you. It's It's nice to be... You know, I think these kinds of questions, they don't get asked often, right? And I'm, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to reflect. And I think what's kind of cool is when you get a chance to reflect in a conversation like this, things have occurred to me throughout our conversation. Like, oh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I haven't, my brain hadn't been taken to that place in a long time. I haven't reflected on that in a long time. So I thank you for being willing to go beyond the typical recipe of, you know, what what normally gets baked into a podcast i think you know this has been a lot of fun for me and it's been really valuable for me too so thank you pleasure is all mine sa grant over and out thanks for tuning in to another episode of boss on cage i hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer don't forget to subscribe rate review and share the podcast if this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions reach out and let me know email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS that's 762-233-2677 I would love to hear from you Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss in Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. 
Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.